big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the studio. I am here. Merle Kelch is not. He is, uh, I don't know, probably resting and recreating up in the palatial Kelch estate in northern Wisconsin right now. I'm going to guess there's a pretty serious combination of both of those things going on right now. (laughs) And we are joined this morning by Alan Haugam, attorney at law here in Wausau, who pinch hits for Merle on occasion. And uh, he can take your elder law, your estate planning questions this morning. 715-845-2155. Today would be the day to get those answered. Um, and you said you've got some new information you want to regale with us uh, this morning. You know, Tom, now this might be, and again, this is for the, the 8 o'clock crowd who tunes in right at the first minute of this show uh-huh. uh, for information. So these are, I mean, we're, we're, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this before all those other, you know, interlopers kind of jump on in the in middle of the show. You know, these are the serious operators here who are listening. Right. Uh, the IRS put out some new, uh, I, I guess, proposed uh, rules, proposed regulations. So whether it works, and we've talked about on the show before that, uh, you know, how a bill becomes a law, the old conjunction junction cartoon from uh, Saturday mornings, which says that uh, when when Congress passes a law, they pass a big, broad law. And sometimes, obviously, these laws are huge. You know, there are hundreds of pages and a couple of them get into the thousands of pages. So what it really does is here is the law, uh, but then they have to figure out how to implement it. And what that really means is there is still some work left to be done for all of the executive agencies and the executive agencies being like, you know, Department of Transportation or Department of Energy or, you know, all those cabinet posts. You know, it's the interior. Well, one of them is Treasury. So what happens when Congress says that we are going to pass a new law that changes a tax rate? Well, they don't get into the gory details. They leave it to Treasury, you know, with basically who governs the IRS, but leave it to the Treasury Department to figure out how this is going to be collected. You know, what are the forms going to look like? What are the dates? What, what address are they going to mail these things to? You know, how's it going to get routed? There's yeah. a reason why the Treasury building is so big in Washington. <laughs> it needs a lot of office space for Absolutely. these people, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's one of those where when you think about it, you say, what are all the details? Well, we never thought of that. And Congress, obviously, is it's, they're probably not the best and really not suited. That's not their job. They no, want to get the big really? things. Congressmen don't know about the tax law, really? We're going to just move on past that <laughs> comment. But but it is, you know, and it really is. But it, it, it's one of those where they get the big, broad strokes, and then they kind of throw it down into the, you know, the little brother agency, and they say, hey, Treasury, you figure this out. And they do this with every agency, so it's not just unique to Treasury. But what it what, what happens is they say, well, here, we're going to pass a law, and this was the SECURE Act. This is the SECURE Act. We've talked a little bit on the show before. Uh, it was passed uh, uh, about approximately December 20th, of 2019 and it went into effect on January 1st of 2020. Now, I don't think there was any press about this prior to the tw- prior to it being passed. It just came out of nowhere and suddenly it's here. And it did some good things. You know what it did is it it changed the the start date for your required minimum distributions for your IRAs and 401k's and 403b's and all those related retirement plans. It used to be you have to take it out at 70 and a half. Now they pushed it all the way back to age 72. So the 18 months, now I don't know if that really makes much of a difference to too many people, but 
but they did. You know, and it allowed some other part-time people to, to add into 401k plans. It allowed some other folks, uh, uh, you know, who were maybe wouldn't have been eligible based on age and certain things. So it made it a little bit easier. But a couple things around the fringes. What it did, though, is in exchange for this, said, how are we going to pay for this? And again, why they did this, the motivation for it, because there's no press on it, and it was it went into effect 10 days afterward. And again, then in 2020, we had some bigger news stories, so yeah. this kind of got overshadowed by uh, everything else that pandemic-related. But what happened is, uh, to pay for the slight delay in when the government was going to collect taxes from age 70 and a half to 72, they said, we have to pay for it. So the way they paid for it, is it really penalizes either a surviving spouse or your beneficiaries after that. Oftentimes children, but it can really be anyone else you're giving things to after spouse for these retirement accounts. So the things where they used to be able to take those accounts and withdraw them very slowly over a long, long period of time, basically over their lifetimes, or in some cases you could give it to grandchildren and they could take it over their lifetimes. I mean, you could really stretch this tax out. Because uh, this is, in a lot of cases, you know, it just reflects society. This is, in some cases, you know, a, a family's largest asset. This is the big, it's, it's worth more than the house in some cases. So you could take it and you could stretch it out over this long period of time. Uh, what, what Congress did is they said, when we pass this, we are going to shorten that time period to either five years or 10 years. And, and in a lot of cases, 10 years is really what happened. So instead of taking it out over a, a lifetime, you would take it out over 10 years. And you had to pay all of the tax within 10 years. Now imagine that if you're giving it to a child and their life expectancy might have been 30 or 40 more years. Now you got to pay all that tax up front in 10. So what it does is it accelerates the, the number of years, it accelerates the tax. And because you're paying more tax in a shorter period of time, it's going to push you into even higher tax brackets. So it's kind of the double whammy. You get both edges of the sword here. But, uh, but there were some rules about... You said, well, at least you could manage that. So at least you said, you know, you could take some out in year one, some in year two, nothing in year three, four, and five. Then maybe in year six, you had a lower income, so you took some more out. But you just had to take it out by 10. Just, just by the end of the 10th year, we'll figure this out. And there was a framework for it, how we had done this before in some other contexts. Well, the IRS, uh, uh, Treasury, Department of Treasury, gets a hold of this. And it's been a year, like, what, 16 months, something like this? Not quite a year and a half since this bill has gone into effect. We finally get some rules about it. And and they put out and they say, you know what we think? We think even though you have to take it out in 10 years, now you can't do quite as much tax planning as you used to because you're going to still have to take out required minimum distributions in each and every one of those 10 years. So it, it is one of those where it it's a... Uh, uh, the, the kind of the knife went in the back and, and we just had a subtle twist. <laughs> we said, so, and again, this is taxes, folks. You know, it's not the end of the world. It's not life or death. It's one of those where uh, you, you have to pay the tax. I always think with IRAs and retirement accounts, you know, someone is going to pay the income tax on all of those traditional accounts, not Roth accounts, uh, you know, others, but, but for the traditional IRAs, traditional 401ks, you know, I think that the government is really telling us an IRA is an individual retirement account, and that means it's for your individual retirement. Uh, it is not the greatest uh, wealth transfer vehicle or transfer between generations. So you say, well, where does this, you know, how does this affect us here on the Saturday morning show? Um, all right, we have to pay taxes. We get it. But. Is it the same amount of tax if you take the money out or if your beneficiary takes it ah, out? So, Tom, great question. And I think that's really where we're going. So what this is doing is it's putting more of an emphasis on the planning. You know, uh, we talk about, you know, right on the sign, we, you know, our law firm is estate planning and elder law. 
So part of that is planning, and it's long-term planning. And I think, Tom, uh, you hit the nail on the head, very uh, uh, kind of prescient there, in that it's if you take it out, now keep in mind, think about who's taking this out. It's people who are generally in retirement, um, oftentimes people over the age of now 72 where you have to take it out, and they make you take out a little bit at a time. Well, when you're in retirement and you are no longer drawing your 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 comp, your paycheck, your wage, uh, your income goes down. And then that's what you do is you supplement it with these uh, with the 401k and IRA distributions. So you have to pay tax, but you're you're probably in a lower tax bracket because your income has gone down for for most people. The and you think about it, you say, okay, well that's fine with us. If if I pass away though, and this goes to my kids, my kids might be in their still in their working years, probably are still in their working years, and if now I stick this required distribution onto the kids while they are still in their working years, that's going to be taxed at their marginal tax rate. And by marginal, I mean the, the, their highest tax rate. You know, their income, as it goes up, you fill up the 10% bracket, you fill up the, the 12% bracket, then you get to 22. And I think it goes from 22 to 24 to 25. And we'll see how the, the new tax plan, if that ever gets passed, if that changes things. But suddenly, instead of you being able to take a lot of this money out at a 0% tax bracket or or hopefully a, a 10 or a 12% tax bracket, this might, for your kids, it might jump all of it into a 22 or 24. And now tack on, it all has to be paid within 10 years. So you might push them into an even higher bracket. It, it really does create a much larger family tax. So I think one of the things that we talk about and one of the things that we have been planning for really since they passed this January of 2020 uh, is really talking to clients about think about this as a, a family tax, a generational tax, so that, you know, if it's mom, dad, and, and three kids, the tax is going to be paid by one of those five people. What's the best way to pay less tax money in the family? And I think this is where you grab the financial advisor. You might talk to the CPA, but I think you know, financial advisor, and certainly I would hope your attorney's involved with this, is just to say, is there a way that we can pay less money from the family, less money from the King family, less money from the Haugam family, less money from the Any family um, over a longer period of time if we do a little bit more planning for everybody and, and take more of it in the low brackets? All right, we'll ask that question, and you can answer it when we come back. We'll take a break here and come back with more. We're with attorney Alan Haugam on the show today, and uh, the phone calls are welcome, 715-845-2155. We'll be right back. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association and the Wisconsin Athletic Directors Association. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. 
You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes. At seniorcore.gov. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, along with attorney Alan Haugam, Haugam Law Firm here in Wausau. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155. I see we might have a call here, so let's see if I can find that. Good morning. Oh, they were there. Now they're gone. Give us a call back, 715-845-2155. So you were going to tell us before the break uh, how people can plan to not pay as much tax as uh, they might have to under this uh, new plan. Yeah, and I think it's... Now, now keep in mind, this is a little bit of, you know, pulling out the spreadsheet and a pencil and a calculator. But I think it's the kind of thing where if you said, you know what, instead of us paying the absolute least amount of tax we can pay this year, how about if we said, let's pay the least amount of tax that we can over the course of your entire IRA or your 401k. Now, we are not financial advisors. We're not CPAs. I think, you know, obviously we are, are huge fans of those folks, but it's one of those where I think if, if you can plan that and maybe if, if through the, the estate planning, then you can say, well, we want to pay as little a tax as possible, but oftentimes in that age range, we also want to protect it as long as possible. How can we do both? And I think if you, you have those folks talk together uh, and, and the planning is done right, it, it saves a huge amount of money. All right, let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, good morning. John, greetings. Go ahead, John. Two questions, and if we could uh, perhaps come back to me after um, Alan ask, uh, answers the first one. With regard under the new provisions uh, that he outlined, that RMDs would still be required during this 10-year drawdown period at which the IRA, let's say, that was inherited had to be emptied. Reference the RMDs. Whose life expectancy are they calculated on? Sure, and and John, the uh, and again, this is one where uh, they surprised us with these ten-year RMD uh, issue recently. So I would say we won't carve this one in stone just yet. There's one more step before they finalize this. So. Uh, so I think the the measuring age or the measuring life you're describing is probably one more that we would we'll, we'll kind of write this in pencil. But for the most part, if you're giving it to someone who is not a spouse, so if it's a spouse, it's generally uh, you can use the spouse's life expectancy. And there might be reasons why you want to do that. Might be reasons why you don't. You might say, well, wait a minute. What if a younger spouse dies, and now it's going to an older spouse? You know, if you have a 75-year-old spouse who passes away and goes to, uh, 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 you know, her 85-year-old husband who's still living, you know, that kind of a thing, there might be some reasons why you'd, you'd want to choose, you'd basically you want to choose the younger one. But uh, for the most part, if it's going to a non-spouse and it's before someone was age 72, I believe they're going to be using the, the life of the younger person, so of the beneficiary. If they are already into the RMDs, uh, they're after age 72, then I believe they're going to be using the the measuring life of the retiree of the of the person who passed away. So once once you get into once you get past that that age 72, um, it locks it in if you're giving it to someone who's not your spouse. So if that makes a little bit of sense. But we'll 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 see for the final. Um, it is one of those things where they surprised us once. So we're we're going to be uh, kind of we're keeping very close tabs on this for clients. So I think uh, stay tuned. We might talk about this on a future show. 
Excellent. Second quick question then, Alan. Uh, totally different uh, beneficiary of the IRA situation. Were there any changes made with regard to a, a, char- a charitable foundation being named as the beneficiary of the um, IRA for the person who passed away? No, I don't. I, we didn't get any new rules on that, or I didn't. And again, I didn't read all of them, but I, I didn't read the original IRS text. But the, uh, uh, the 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 press releases came out, and there were we didn't see any changes for charities. Um, and I think the good part of it is you can give things to a charity. Um, now, there's a, a little bit. You said private foundation. There, the rules are a touch different. Remember, when you're giving things to a public charity versus a private foundation, they're even different during your lifetime. So the, it's a little bit more expansive. You can give a little bit more to a public charity. By public charity, I mean just one that you see. You know, it's it can be you know big ones like the United Way and those things. But but obviously the ones we favor probably are the local ones. You know, it's the uh, it's it's the you know speaking of Wasa, I don't mean to, to to advantage one versus another, but it's the you know it's it's the local women's community and the neighbors' place and the local big brothers, big sisters. You know, all those kinds of things. So uh, those are a little bit easier. You can give a little bit more to them. When you're giving it to a private foundation, it's a little bit more restrictive. After you pass away, um, if you're giving that from your retirement account, now keep in mind how you do that. If it goes from your retirement account, there's no tax. If you're giving that through your estate planning to a charity, a foundation, or, or a charity, there's no tax on that either. Really, the benefit of doing that is is you're trying to zero out any income in your estate. But there's probably not a big, big dollar amount of income in your estate. So it's it's one of those where, um, for John, I think the rules are going to be very, very similar, if not literally identical. So I wouldn't worry about that one at all. Terrific. Thanks, Alan. Sure. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Did we have a – when they switched the tax policy about using the um, – getting away from all of the deductions and people itemizing, we thought that maybe that was going to have a major effect downward on charitable contributions. Have we seen that? The uh, So, Tom, when uh, what you're talking about is when, uh, I think it was the 2017 tax laws went into effect, they basically bumped up the standard deduction. Right. They, they combined the exemption plus the deduction. So basically every person gets about 12000 If you're married, you get about 24000 So unless your deductions are over that, it, it, you know, very, very few people itemize anymore. You know, it's probably less than 10% of all taxpayers. So what people said was, and what we talked about was, would that reduce it? I think our plea was keep giving, just give, give to charities because it's a good thing to give to charities. And, um, you know, and you kind of, uh, and we'll deal with it. But uh, I have not tracked that. I, I haven't seen if that has gone one way or the other. Um, I'm, you know, probably a couple of years now into it, it, it might be looked to see. It might be good to see if there has been a trend. I would certainly hope not. Sometimes we don't talk about it a lot, um, just because we don't want, uh, you know, some folks to say, "Wait a minute, <laughs> I might not get a deduction for this." Um, now, for retirees out there, I would say anyone who's over the age of 72, if you are into your required minimum distributions, if you're over age 72, I would talk to your financial advisor or your financial professional about if you make charitable contributions and you do not itemize, Tom, uh, then you don't get an extra bang for your buck. You give the you give to the charity, and obviously that's something we want to support, uh, but you don't get the extra deduction. If you say, well, I want to have my cake and eat it too, I want to take that full standard deduction, which is now over 12000 with inflation, a little more than 24000 for a couple, and in addition to that, I also want to get a 
a, a deduction for my charitable contributions, what we do have is something called a QCD. Now, a QCD stands for a Qualified Charitable Deduction. So what that is, is if you're over age 72 and you're taking a required minimum distribution, you can give that directly from the financial company to the charity, and that is going to be a deduction against your income taxes in addition to and on top of the standard deduction. As long as you don't take receipt of the money. Correct. Yeah. Got to go right from the, yeah. And you say, well, hey, that's a great idea. So what happens is, you know, if instead of you giving, you know, $20 a week to, to church in the collection plate, um, what you could do is say, well, 50, 52 weeks times $20 is a little over $1,000. Can I just tell my IRA company to send $1,000 directly to my church? Yeah. And now you're going to get that fully deductible. You get a total tax deduction plus that entire standard deduction. It's a great, it's a great trade. Um, and if you say, well, wait a minute, but but then what's going to happen every week when the collection plate comes by and and I just hand it to the next person, you know, or you know, my my kind of the neighbors in the pew going to be looking at me sideways? <laughs> um, well, you know, I think you can still fill out the envelope and uh, and you put a little note in there. It says, hey, remember back on January 1st when you got the whole thousand bucks? Yeah. You know, look to that one. Yeah. So. So, so I think there's definitely ways you can do that. but uh, uh, Better but, than the old joke of putting scotch tape on your fingers and going into the collection <laughs> right. plate, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But there's, I think there's a way. If you do that, um, it's uh, it really is a have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too kind of moment, and it's, uh, it's a win-win for everybody. All right. We're going to take a break for some news. We'll come back with more. If you have a question for Alan, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Nice to spend the night with my daughter and other veterans. It's so humbling to attend an event when you feel appreciated. I had a wonderful time with my family. Thank you for the memories, VetTix. Dear VetTix, thank you for a great experience and for your support of the military and veterans. Thank you so much, VetTix. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years, and this gave us a nice break. Monday, High 46. I'm Tom King on Central Wisconsin's only local news station, WSAU. At Social Security, we are always thinking of ways to save you time and make things easier. That's why we created My Social Security. Opening a My Social Security account gives you secure access to your personal record and interactive tools tailored for you. You can see if you are eligible to receive benefits, view spousal benefit estimates, and compare retirement benefit estimates at different ages or dates when you want to start receiving benefits. Already receiving benefits? Use your account to change your address, set up or change direct deposit, get a proof of income letter, and more. In most states, you can also request a replacement social security card. Save time, go online. Open a My Social Security account at ssa.gov slash myaccount. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King. Attorney Alan Halgum joining us today. Pinch hitting for Merle Kelch this morning. Uh, 715-845-2155. And we'll take your questions about uh, estate planning and uh, elder care, things like that. You know, we were talking off air before the uh, before the show started. Uh, I am at the age now where I'm getting mailings on almost a daily basis <laughs> asking me what I'm going to do for my Medicare supplements when that time comes in about a year. Um and I thought maybe I could pick your brain a little bit, and I know there are other people in the same boat uh, that maybe look at all of these mailings and throw up their hands and go, oh, I don't know the difference between these. I mean, what what's good and what's bad about a Medicare supplement plan, and what should I look for 
in in setting that up to be the supplement to my Medicare insurance when that comes. You know, I think Tom, I think you hit on one that is probably more uh, misunderstood or 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 just it's more difficult to wrap your arms around the healthcare side of it. Now, just imagine, you know, you've gone through an entire career, you know, people have gone through their entire lifetimes trying to deal with the healthcare system. And again, this isn't going to be a rant uh, for or against any particular, you know, healthcare setup that you have at your employer or, or through the state or through the federal government. But it really is, obviously, for the things that you deal with, it's got to be about as detailed and about as complicated to understand no. for everyone. Just our, our healthcare who gets paid, how it gets is, paid. is ridiculous. I mean, it, it, I, universal healthcare, Medicare for all, whatever you want to call it, every civilized country in the world has it except us. It's well, and really, what happens is once we get to sixty-five, then it becomes right. A, a, a basically whether that's good, bad, or indifferent for anyone listening is obviously uh, we'll we'll leave that opinion to everyone. But I would say that's what it becomes at sixty-five. So, uh, and, and there aren't many people who reach 65 and then say, you know what, I think I could, I could qualify for this Medicare plan. I don't want to. I think I'm going to go back to, you yeah. know, and just pay out of pocket. So obviously, you know, there's something to that. But I would say, what it, regardless, once you reach that age or when you're getting closer to that age, there are a couple of big choices. Uh, and sometimes they're a little bit more subtle. Some people don't even realize they're making the choice. But there is a choice when we think about Medicare. People say, well, it's Medicare. It's it's the federal government has a a a plan for for the the health coverage and this is both the doctor appointments and it is also the hospitalization type uh, uh, expenses for someone over that age and you say good now there's also Medicare Part D we have things like uh, uh, the drug plan so that's a little bit different prescription drug plans that was added uh, I think maybe during the uh, George W Bush era um, in that time frame. But what it is, is it's really just the federal government's way of, of kind of organizing these medical expenses and paying for folks who they kind of think of as retired or closer to retirement, but age 65. So if you reach 65, you qualify. Certain other folks, if you're younger than 65 and you're in a certain disability category or, or if you have a disability, you might qualify. But we're talking about just age 65. And what happens is you will get deluged with envelopes and postcards and and probably all kinds of offers. Now that I've mentioned it, they're probably going to send them here too. Right. <laughs> They'll start sending them to everybody. Yeah. But but it is, and it's part of it because what happens is people don't realize Medicare pays for some portion, and and it might be oh something like now don't quote us on this again just very very big round numbers. The Medicare might pay approximately eighty percent of of certain healthcare costs, but you're responsible for twenty percent. And you say okay. Well, that's a pretty good deal. You know, they'll pay 80%, I pay 20. Um, but Medicare's not free. You know, Medicare, they will, um, th there's a, the premium actually comes out of your social security check. So, and um, we can grab the numbers, but it's it's somewhere in the $120 a month or or a little more. So what, what happens with that, and it depends on your income, but for most folks that their, their Medicare cost is gonna be in the 120 or $130 something range per month, that's the premium. And that pays for about 80% of most of these costs. So in order to pay for the rest, then an industry arose uh, selling what we call Medicare supplements. You know, what kind of insurance coverage could you purchase to, to pay for the extra 20%? You can either pay just right in cash out of your pocket, or you say, wait a minute, you know, I'm not a big fan of just possibly having some unlimited expense and pay 20% of a heart surgery is still a big, big number. So can I buy a Medicare supplement plan and, and that pays the other 20%, and you can. So that now pays, you know, the, or the premium for that might be, and again, 
all kinds of plans all over the board. But I would say we've from clients, we've heard many clients talk about maybe $150 or so per month. So keep in mind when you turn 65, your insurance is not free. Your health care coverage is not free. Uh, for all of those folks under 65, uh, getting closer to the line. Certainly it, less than you're paying with almost any uh, employer uh, plan that you're paying through your employer. For the ones we've seen, I think you're right, Tom, that, that I haven't seen anything that, that low. So obviously that is not, and there's some reasons for it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's just part of this plan. So if you pay 120 or $130 a month or whatever your Medicare premium is for the 80%, and maybe you do pay another 150 bucks a month, depending on your plan, all the bells and whistles you take with that, for your supplement, you say, okay, we're we're in the two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollars a month, but now you have probably pretty significant coverage. Um, there are also things called Medicare Advantage plans. Now, sometimes when you talk to a professional, an insurance professional, not many people sell Medicare supplements. It's very specialized. It's very regulated. Obviously, um, you have to get licensed for it. You have to do all kinds of testing, and then. It, it's a uh, it, it's fairly similar from one client to the next so there believe it or not there aren't a lot of people who really specialize in this with the true Medicare supplements so sometimes you will get things in the mail so these people want to find you if you can't find them they will find you with lots of advertising <laughs> and postcards and sometimes group presentations yeah, I always look at that stuff with a jaundiced eye thinking I'm missing <laughs> something here um, you know, well I, <laughs> The, I'm missing something here. The And I'm not an expert in this area. I am an expert. You know, it sounds, sounds kind of strange to say, I am an expert in estate planning. I'm an expert in elder law. I'm an expert in some of the tax planning strategies. Uh, but in Medicare, I am not. Um, so there are certainly people who are. I think the best thing for this time would be to get more than one opinion. Um, and I would the other thing I would do is I would take a family member with me. Uh, and maybe not a spouse, maybe it's a child. You got one of those kids who just loves math and, and, and gets into those sorts of things. There's a little bit more detail oriented just for an extra set of ears, because oftentimes you will, what we have found from some folks is they will say, Hey, I've got a great plan, $150 a month for that Medicare supplement. I got a better, idea. I got a better price. You can get one for 150 a month. I got one over here. That's uh that's, that's a hundred a month or 50 a month or 25 a month or free. And you say, Really? <laughs> Free? Is if that it's too good to be true than it is? Again, I'm not an expert in uh -huh. this, Tom. Yeah. But but for that one, um, when there's not a trade-off and it's health care coverage. Now I think think of this in the term of health care coverage, folks. If you got regular health insurance, just you know, you were fifty five or forty five or thirty five and you called up the insurance company and they said you can either pay hundred and fifty dollars a month or zero, um, you're gonna have some follow up questions to that. You're gonna say uh, this is health care. This isn't anything else. It's not tax planning. It's not I pay tax now or don't pay tax later. It's it's health care. And someone's paying the bill. And none of this stuff is free. Or the coverage is just not very good. Or that. Yeah. So I think there is something where there is a trade-off. And if you say, if you fully understand all the details, and I'm and maybe this is hit the internet, maybe this is um talk to the ADRC, the you know, Aging and Disability Resource Center, you know, they can point you in good directions. Uh, take a family member. But I, I think I really do think talk to multiple sources and talk to someone who says, We are just gonna sell you the absolute straightforward Medicare supplement and you keep the federal Medicare. Or if you go into a Medicare Advantage plan, then also talk to them and say, um, you know, what would it cost? What's the coverage? And if someone just kind of waves their hand a few times and says, I think everything's exactly the same, you know, maybe intuitively we there there might be more to it. And I'm not 
I, I, I frankly, I'm not an expert enough to tell you exactly what that is. But, but I think Tom, you're right that there's, there's probably for healthcare, there, there's probably a trade-off somehow. All right, 715-845-2155. I'll tell you what, we'll take a break here. We still have some time. So if you have a question for Alan regarding any of this, and as we always say when Alan's on the program, he did go to law school so he can answer any legal question, uh, give us a call. We'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day. Here's Chris Connolly. At the racetrack in Watkins Glen, New York, everyone's of metal waste from our area landfill. You can help bring slightly used building materials, furniture, and light fixtures to our office and store on Schofield Avenue in Weston. Habitat thanks Midwest Communications for making this announcement possible. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King along with Alan Haugam, attorney at law here in Wausau. Let's go back to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, this is John. Hey, John, go ahead. Morning, John. Hey, uh, Alan, I've got a question for you. Uh, my father just passed away here in January. Um, my mother is still alive. They have a fairly large estate. Uh, it involves farmland, farm equipment, and considerable stock holdings. Okay. They set up a trust. It's an AB trust, I guess, is what it's called. Um they named one of the big financial houses where the stocks, a lot of the stocks are hold, held as trustees. And one of my questions is, what are the trustees' normal fees, and can they be removed as trustees and made one of either me or one of my family members um, the trustees, the trustee of the, these two trusts or whatever? <clears throat> Sure. I guess that's my question. Nope, not a problem. Well, John, the uh, so when when John's talking about an AB trust, what an AB trust does is it, it's really meant for people whose whose estates are over or were concerned that the second spouse will be over the estate tax limit. Now the and and John, it doesn't mean that that number has changed. So if they had you know when we drafted some of these back in the mid '90s, that number was six hundred thousand dollars. So if if, yes, that's if, that's what that's the time this one was done. Yeah. So if if whoever was drafting it thought your parents might be over six hundred thousand dollars, if they had gone over that, every dollar over six hundred thousand, there was a forty percent tax. Forty. It it's it was unbelievable. So and I'm from a, a farm background. So I grew up on a little hobby farm over by uh, Edgar, and uh, I'm from Edgar originally. And, and some of our best friends in the entire world are still farmers from Edgar and uh, and even Marathon. So. Uh, uh, but it's a little rivalry there, but uh, good people. But it's one of those yeah. where it was it was very common. So anyone who we thought might possibly be over six hundred thousand, you want to set up an AB trust. And basically, what it did is it said when the after the first spouse passes away, we're going to split the estate in half, kind of an A half and a B half. And then when the second spouse dies, we can transfer at least double. And and the way it was set up, you could transfer a little bit more than double tax free. So instead of 600000 tax-free, you could transfer uh, at least $1.2 million tax-free. And oftentimes back in those days, that was enough to get you out of this tax. Well, since then, a couple of things have happened. Well, not only has uh, the farmland, the values have gone up, and the, the appraisers have put much bigger numbers on that, and sale prices have gone up, the, the stock holdings have gone up, um, but thankfully, Congress has one of the about the only thing the Democrats and Republicans have agreed on since the mid 90s, it seems like, is they have increased the amount you can give tax free for estate tax purposes. 
So what used to be a $600,000 limit, uh, not long after, went to a million. Then it went to a million and a half dollars. Then it went to $2 million. About 12 years ago, it went to $3.5 million. Uh, a few years after that, it went to $5.5 million. And right now, the permanent uh, number is between $5.5 and $6 million you can give tax-free. Temporarily, it has been increased to about $11.7 million you can give tax-free. Now, that's temporary. It's supposed to come back down to between five and a half and six million around 2025. So what the, the big numbers, now that doesn't mean your parents have that or, or any of those types of things, but that's where that, that's really the, the history of it. So the need for an AB trust probably is less than it used to be. Certainly fewer people are going to be in the six million or $12 million range. Um, so that said, when it, it's, there's still nothing wrong with it, it still works. The financial services company as trustee, now that's a different question. And really what happens is, uh, in broad terms, you have about three different choices for trustee, three big broad choices. Number one, you can name a family member or a person or a best friend. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a person, someone we know, someone we, we, we consider to trust, they can do the work. If someone says, well, this might be a little bit more complicated, we can name a trust company. Now that can be, uh, oftentimes it's a, either national insurance companies have trust companies. A lot of the bigger local banks have trust companies. Um, so that's, that's an option. And then if you don't have a person, you don't have a trust company, you know, third option is probably law firm, those kind of things. But there's probably those three categories. Now, if you name the trust company, um, I would say the the difference is it's not entirely different, um, the amount that someone gets paid. But I would say with the trust companies, with the financial services companies or the banks, um, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit more standardized. So the amount to actually administer the estate or administer the trust after your dad passes away. So from your dad passing away until that is completely done and everything is settled, the bills are paid, everything is retitled, and it's in the A trust or the B trust. Um, oftentimes that mimics or it mirrors the probate expenses for the, just for the trustee doing it. So what we see is, is often that it's about 2% of the value of the assets. So uh, wow. whether that's good or bad, so and 2%, that's not zero. You know, we say, well, it's, you know, 98% goes in one place and only 2% goes the other place. So that might be, um, you know, but 2%, it's 2000 for every 100000 So, or if it's a million-dollar estate, then it's a $20,000 is the, is the trustee fee. Now, they're doing a lot of work, and uh, they're taking on a lot of liability, and it's basically turnkey. They do everything. Um, probably other than that, there might be some accounting costs, depending on who does it. Sometimes some of the trust companies will also then... Um, uh, kind of delegate the legal work, so there's a legal cost. Um, okay, part of the deal. The If a family wants to change that, um, it really depends on the document. So you take a look at the document. Your mom might have the ability to change trustees just if she chooses to. That's not uncommon. If she can't, if she's not allowed to do that, then what you can do is you can petition the court. So we do that a fair amount. Sometimes it's just circumstances change. Sometimes it's not it's not a bad trustee. Oftentimes the, the trust companies are very good trustees. I mean, they're very, uh, very professional. It will get done correctly. They're insured. You know, if you name a lay person, they're not insured. There's a problem. You might be out of luck. If it's a trust company and there's a problem, first of all, it's more likely it's going to be done correctly. But then secondly, um, you know, everything about it is uh, it's insured. You know, they have insurance. So there's a few good things about it, but I would say that's that's probably the broad strokes. And then what the the trust company do is once the administration's done, then there's usually an annual fee going forward. Um, 
and then you just talk to them about what that would be. Uh, can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Um, um, my mother, we've found out, kind of, she, she's in the early stages of Alzheimer's or dementia. We didn't even realize it with this COVID thing oh, going wow. on. Okay. Um, so it's a some question whether she could she can actually make the correct decisions. Um, oh God, there was something else I was going to say, but. Anyway, I, 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 I guess you pretty much answered most of my questions, but that complicates things a little bit with her ability to be of sound judgment. Yeah, I think it does. And, and there's a, especially with that type of a condition with, with dementia and Alzheimer's, that there's a, it's not just a, you flip the switch where one day she is 100% able to do those things and the next day she's not, that there's a, there's a scale. So she still can do things. It doesn't mean she's she, she can't, but you have to make sure she understands. And there's certain tests for that that we maybe won't go into quite today. But, yeah, I think take a look sure. at the document first. What does the document allow her to do? Is she able to do that? If she's not, if she isn't, then who's the next person who can make that decision about the trustee? And if, that, if the document doesn't allow it, then there are ways that you can petition the court to do those things. Do you have any advice on the... Uh, dividing, okay, we have the farmland, you know, like 275 acres of farmland, okay. farm equipment, and then the stock holdings. This all has to be appraised, and certain things have to be put into the A trust, and certain things should be put in the B trust. Correct. Could you elaborate yep. on that a little bit? Well, I think there are ways, I think that's one where it really gets into, um, uh, it, there's some rules about it, the document will have some things to say about it, and then there are just some standards about it. And there are ways that you can save some tax. Um, you know, we play by the rules. We always play by the rules, and, and, and that's just what happens. But there are definitely ways that you can save some money long-term for the family. Um, but that really it gets very, very specific about, uh, uh, you know, basically what the cost basis and those things are, um, where they are. Sometimes it might be stock that has a very uh, high cost basis, and you have, have land that has a low cost basis, or it might be vice versa, or it depends on what the CPA's done over the last several years. So that one... That one we wouldn't. Uh, there, there aren't just broad categories where you say, "Well, you have to put this one in this part and this one in that part." Um, sometimes maybe the house goes into the. I think the house you leave in the A trust, and and maybe some other things put in the B trust. But but other than that, all the other categories, it's it's pretty fact specific. So so talk to your professionals. Get somebody good. You know, get somebody good to handle the administration of it, regardless of who the trustee is. But you know, make sure that that your attorney uh, takes a look at that for you or with you. All right. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah, good call. We're just about out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, how can they do that? Well, Tom, we have a, an office over on the west side. Actually, Tom, we didn't announce it last time. Uh, if I can take about 15 seconds, we actually have a second location for the Haugam Law Firm now. So our uh, our flagship office is on the west side of Wausau, right at the intersection of 51 and 29 uh, in the Abbey Bank building. So if you want to call us, it is uh, 715-843-5001, 843-5001. Or on the internet, it is haugamlaw.com, H-O-U-G-U-M-L-A-W.com. And we also have it, a location in Rhinelander. Um, we, uh, after uh, uh, an esteemed colleague, a, a really great colleague, J Attorney John Preby in Rhinelander, passed away, unfortunately, um, uh, that we took over his practice. John had set it up 
so that how that would that transition would take place. He did a great job. His family's been wonderful. And uh, so what used to be the old Preby Law LLC up in Rhinelander, we are now in that space and kind of converting the signs. So uh, so uh, Wassa and Rhinelander now, Tom. Let's get you to, to go up north uh, early for the early weekend. And you know, maybe there'll be there maybe Fridays, a lot of Thursday yeah. afternoon and yeah. all day Friday in yeah. Rhinelander. It's not a go. bad idea. All right. We'll talk to you again down the road. Thanks, Tom. Alan Haugam here on the program this morning. We've got uh, the news. The Polka Show's on the way. Brewer baseball tonight. 535 pregame as the Brewers take on the Pirates once again here on WSAU. ADHD. It's the child who can't pay attention or sit